0: Hello and welcome to another installment of the Under the Spotlight podcast with me, Michael Dryden, and Etchez Adokru. This podcast is a collaboration between Why football and breaking the lines, addressing key topics in the Premier League and English football generally. Today, Etchez will be taking us through the so-called Big Six, the history of the Premier League's elite, the current crop at the top, the Liverpool anomaly, and we'll discuss, discuss whether the influx of money in the Premier League has been healthy before we start, please follow us on Twitter at yfootball underscore and at BTLvid, and subscribe with us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Echez, good afternoon. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm very good. Thanks. Um, sun is shining. Mm. Um, yeah, been a good bit of football this weekend. Um, yeah, it's it's, it's hard, kind of hard to move away from what's been going on in the news. But aside yeah. from that, it's um it's been quite positive, you no know, real negatives aside from that. How are you doing?
0: I'm not bad. I spent yesterday at the DW stadium in a corporate box. <laughs> I was in a, I was in a box at DW at Wigan Athletic watching Sutherland play, uh, which was an interesting experience. Three course dinner, um, like free alcohol, uh, watching it in the prawn sandwich seats. I've never done that before. <laughs> and I was in the home ends. So it was, I hate being in the home end if I'm watching my team again, and they're away from home. Um, it's just painful. You know, you can't celebrate a goal. And then when they score, you have to pretend as if you have some interest in the goal being scored when you actually just want to punch everyone in the side of the head. Um so <laughs> but yeah, aside from that, uh, not much going on. Hope everyone um if anyone is connected with what's going on in Ukraine everyone as well and i hopes and prayers go out to them, it has been has been terrible. Um but the the show that's football rages on um regardless Switches so um, kicking off today's today's episode. Look at the big six. Um, what we're looking at does the does the big six still exist?
1: Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting question and one which I've thought about quite a lot. I think kind of the reason why I wanted to delve into it was essentially every year there's so many twists and turns in the Premier League. But you know, are we are we kind of moving to a point where we're seeing similar sort of stories run? Leicester was a very good reminder of there can be shocks and surprises, but when you take a step even further back and look at the last 10 or so years, mm. b 12 it's, it's the usual suspects at the top. That's always been the case in English football. There's always been some form of usual suspects, but as we'll go in, into now, the, the state of the game in terms of its finances and money means that those usual suspects are very, very hard to shift, um, mm. essentially, due to their very deep pockets. I think if you think look at the Premier League history, you know, they come in and, you know, he he, he essentially shook up the Arsenal Man United strongholds, um, which was, I think they yeah. won seven or eight titles between them from 96 when Wenger won his first trade, 97 to around 2004 sort of time. You know, Chelsea Chelsea's money essentially pushed them from being nearly men under Ranieri to storming the league. I think they won three titles mm-hmm. from 2004 to 2005 over the next eight years and, and the rest went to Fergie. So they kind of became the big two. During that time, it kind of marked extreme amounts of spending, which United being such a juggernaut could do, but Arsenal couldn't really match. For example, when Chelsea first won the league in 2004-2005 season, when they conceded like 15 goals, (laughs) they spent 140 million, which is loads. Now, I think Mm -hmm. Arsenal spent the most of this summer with a f- total of around that, the summer just gone. And Chelsea spending that all the way back in 2004, 2005, which mm, is mad yeah. money. You know, they bought the likes of Didier Drogba, you know, Ricardo Carvalho, um, a whole new team. I think Makalele came a bit before under Ranieri, but yeah, they essentially bought their way to the top and, you know, Arsenal and Liverpool couldn't really keep up or kind of relegate to backseat roles. Then we move on to 2009. and We've got another shift with the shakes coming into City with their big plan. Um, obviously in 2012 they won their first league with the Aguero moment which was obviously fantastic Mm. Um, and then that led to more domination obviously Man United lost Fergie to retirement so that battle between him and Mourinho and Ancelotti and Felipe Scolari and the rest kind of ended with him going and then Pep then joined City and I think City have won three leagues out of the five years he's been here. Mm-hmm. you know, which is which is yeah. dominant. I and mean, we've seen them reach over 100 points. We've seen them score more goals than ever before. We, we, we've seen them richly steamroll. They won, what was it, five Carabaos in a row or four Carabaos in a row? So it's, been, <laughs> it's, been, it's, been <laughs> it's been absolutely amazing from them in terms of how they've kind of just turned into a juggernaut in the Premier League. And aside from the uh, miraculous Leicester win of fifteen 16, we've seen the title really dominated by City and Chelsea. With Liverpool surging forward in recent seasons, I think Liverpool kind of are... The heroes in this in this sort of battle, mm. because you know the their title win doesn't really illustrate enough how brilliant they've been in the recent years. Preventing, I think, cities utter dominance. You know, I think you know. I know last year they had a bad season because of Van Dyke's injury, essentially. But you know, I mean, they collected ninety seven points Which is without mad. winning the league. Which that is, is actually <laughs> <mad>. ninety seven uh, <laughs> points.
0: Yeah, I remember Klopp after I think it was after the final game was just like laughing. He was just laughing to the innings, like, presser after the game. they asked him, like, OK, about how the season go?" He was just like, look, we've got 97 points. There's basically been two winners, <laughs> which there effectively was.
1: Absolutely, absolutely crazy. And obviously, their back-to-back CL uh, final wins, or runs, sorry, won the one against Tottenham, unfortunately, lost out to Real Madrid. I think, again, they're kind of going back to that point, though, is what makes this sort of time different now, which is why I think the big six could be broken up, is we have seen this level of dominance before but the money involved now is absolutely crazy Mm. in terms of revenue incomes, it's just mad. So to kind of find out a bit more about it, I decided to go onto the Deloitte Money League on my favorite website, Wikipedia. This is not an ad. This is not. This is not uh, sponsored ads. It's not a sponsored ad. Um, Wikipedia hmm. is still going to ask you to, to donate that two pound a month, wherever it is. Have you ever done it? I think I've uh,
0: won sent twenty pounds. Uh, I don't know. Really? I might have been. <laughs> I, might have, I might have had a few drinks. I don't know why I was doing that. I don't know why I'd be on Wikipedia after a few drinks as well.
1: But... <laughs> uh, look, looking back at that seventy-three Sunderland uh, was it FA Cup win, <laughs> <laughs> typed in the final. I was but, so happy with the review, so I thought, you know what, he's twenty-three. <laughs> If <laughs> yeah, the Deloitte Money League started in ninety eight, um Man United topped the tree back then with 87 million as their revenue. Uh the likes of Chelsea, Liverpool were also in the top ten in the mid 40s, as well as Newcastle. I had to put Newcastle in here because I was like, oh wow, Newcastle were in the Deloitte Money League because they were obviously mm. they were and kind of historically can be quite a big club. They actually came like 13th that year, which is so <laughs> mad. I was thinking I was like, oh, you know, they were a League sort of club in the um some Robson years and, and, and that sort of stuff. So I thought, oh, let me have a look and see where it ended up, Oh, 13th. Um, <laughs> um, Arsenal actually won the league that year in 97, 98, but didn't actually feature in that. Um, But the ability to reach the top back then was far easier. You know, we're looking at top of the tree, that's including Bayern, all the guys, was on 87 million. We've got a few on 40s. I think bottom of the top 10 or 10th was just under 40 million. So to get to the top, you're looking at about closing a 45 million odd gap. If you flip that to the most recent season, so we're looking at Manchester City, Liverpool and Chelsea have drawn literally over 200 million more than Arsenal in terms of revenue income. Now, that's not easy to bridge that gap. And that's just talking about the likes of Arsenal, let alone other clubs that are in the top 20 as well. So you're of West Ham, Wolves, Leicester, etc. When you've got City, who have got a bottomless pit of cash... You know, Man United being a juggernaut as they are from the early, early Ferguson years, which means that they're a cash cow. Chelsea, obviously, still well, all backed by Roman Abramovich, and have that loan system, which is essentially just churning out player after player after player after player after player. <laughs> you know, how can you, how can, how can Arsenal feasibly close that gap? You know, it's not that easy, really. Um, you know Chelsea's loan system I know we spoke about this before the pod about how uh, the loan market is kind of changing but yep. it, it, it's still silly anyway because basically in, sh- in short for our for our listeners in 2024 mm. you can only loan out a max of six or seven players I think over the age of 21 Um, but like it's Which pointless is, because yeah, <laughs> you still got <laughs> you still got loads of players under 21 we we, we spoke about Conor Gallagher and um, Armando Broja um, this season both under 21 uh, both smashing at top goal scorers at their respective clubs. So Chelsea can just keep on um, trundling mm-hmm. them out, getting their loan fees and, and making money, which then turns the first team into a competitive force, which the likes of Arsenal Spurs, and to an extent Liverpool can't do, which is why I think we're going to see some divisions in that so-called big six form.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's a ba- It's not a bad thing per se for clubs to loan players out. It's just the extent and what they're being used for. Because I was thinking about this. Conor Gallagher's loan spell has been so successful. I was trying to think... You know there's an episode on in this in, in its entirety around like the most successful loan spells ever. Um, and he has had such a successful time at Palace. Would he, but has he overachieved? Is he going to go back into Chelsea and then just be on the bench for Chelsea? Because I don't know if he's going to go straight into the first team mm. or is he going to go back out on loan? Um, with this kind of restriction, which I know won't apply to him, but given his age, I think he's like 20. If there would kind of almost be like a, a, t- a tick and talk to when he then would have to be. Chelsea would have to kind of stick our twist on and say, okay, he's going to play for the first team and we're going to sell him on. Um, But irrespective, the more players they loan out under 21, over 21, the longer they spend successful spells at like Premier League clubs, the value of Brogier and Gallagher will have gone up significantly this season mm. you know there were two players before they went on loan that not that many people would have known about now they are kind of like household names in the premier league mm. each probably worth 20 million conor gallagher's probably worth far more than 20 million actually saying that mm. <laughs> maybe both of them um and so if they decide to sell because they don't think it's going to come into the um or palace decide to buy gallagher for example if they can afford to do so then that's just more revenue for them that yeah you're right that other other sides that aren't doing that and and maybe don't have the the scale to do so um uh, they can't really yeah they can't do that they can't bring in that revenue so it's uh it's mad I am still thinking about that 97 points like it actually just doesn't compute but it just it just it just brings home how well both those clubs have done in terms of squad building and compared to most other sides um Tottenham maybe have done it this season bring Conte in but they've actually brought in Liverpool and City brought in two coaches two elite coaches in the peak of their career to kind of as part of that squad building and so they both went to a level that no one else can compete with. And that's why we had two teams that were on ninety-five plus points that have both been to an extent dominating the Premier League for the last five five seasons. Um but the all top four I felt was a bit more logical. Like you had United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool. That was like the order for a number of years. And but that but that but we also have four Champions League spots. So there's four there was a top four. There's four UCL yeah. spots. So it kind of made sense. Like the those teams were consistently in the in the Champions League, which means they, which means they attracted uh, better talents, which means they had higher revenues, which means they were the best forward in the Premier League. But obviously, within when you have more revenue just come into it, or sorry, more capital come into the league, like with Man City, that with even Newcastle now, other teams glowing up, um, it's just completely shook that old order to a point now where, you know, where do we even stop? Is it top six? Is it top seven? Because um, you think back then, I mean, Liverpool hadn't won the Premier League in the 2000s. They hadn't, only a few seasons they came close like under Benitez and obviously after the 2000s with uh, Brendan Rodgers. But in the mid 2000s they attracted the arguably the hottest prospect in football, Fernando Torres, to Liverpool. I just think now that wouldn't happen because you just have the biggest and the most resourceful teams, which is buy him in. I mean, Erlen Haaland is not going to go to Tottenham or Arsenal now, is he? And that's almost kind of the
1: equivalent. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that one. It's a, it's an interesting one, that old top four, because you're right, it kind of were the four best sides and that order was not really shaken. But then what are Arsenal in the big six? Because you're adding the two Europa spots. What, what, yeah. are Tot- what are Tottenham in that? I think Tottenham went into Europa Conference. Arsenal actually missed out. <laughs> Arsenal missed out on it all altogether. It went to West Ham and and Leicester were involved, weren't they? So, mm. how you know, what are, what are they then? Are they part of Are they part of the group? Are we talking it in terms of pure revenue? Because I guess we're mm. looking at in terms of revenue, yeah, for sure. But the performance of some of those sides have meant, it's been quite relevant. Leicester have come fifth back-to-back before this season. You know, so why why are they not in the mix? You know, you're looking at some of their players. If we're looking at it in terms of quality, you've got Yuri Tillman's who exceptional player, international. Mm. We've got the likes of Jamie Vardy, one of the great, probably one of the greatest goal scorers of the Premier League mm. um, for his age and his comeback. And you've got likes and talents of Pats and All of those clubs have such immense talent that what, what really does this Big Six kind of define? Mm. Revenue is a bit boring because ultimately, it's what's on the pitch that matters. You can be nine, you can be 17th with. the revenue in the world but realistically like what's big about you then essentially Mm. which is uh, interesting and that Torres point is quite quite interesting as well I think yeah Tono and Arsenal probably wouldn't be able to I think what it does highlight is for him to even come to the Prem the competition to get someone like him would be so intense because so Mm. many sides can now feasibly pay for him to go I think back then you're looking at Arsenal probably wouldn't have paid the money for Torres back then because they tended to buy cheaper and sell higher United mm. would have been involved, probably didn't need him. And then it's just probably just Chelsea. And they're the three clubs that probably would have gone for him. Yeah. Now you could feasibly say if they were, but Erling Holland was going to come to England, it would be literally United, <laughs> Chelsea. <laughs> scrap. Yeah, United, Chelsea, City, Liverpool, probably would go for a push as well. Newcastle for their hands, in with the new money that they've got. Like Spurs, probably like the, there's so many different sides now. Mm. To kind of the, the next point I wanted to move on to is what do we actually have now? Because I think what you you just said with the top four kind of applies here. You know, we've got this big six, but, you know, what what does that kind of really mean? I think what we'll see as time goes on is City's dominance is going to continue. Pep will eventually leave. Uh, Their squad is so deep and they're not really near a rebuild. I think they've kind of shifted the old spine. So the Joe Hart, Vincent Company, David Silva, Aguero spying they've pretty much shifted now already I think Fernandinho is no longer starting it's gone to Rodri who's 23-24 up top they're probably going to sign this marquee striker this summer they got but they got about 100,000 centre-halves who are all (laughs) varied in terms of age and relatively young young fullbacks Kevin De Bruyne is turning 30 talisman sort of player but really and truly even if Pep goes that squad is set to really just just keep on going and dominate, really. Um, I think United are actually very close. So I think we'll see City's domination. I just think United are a lot closer than people actually expect them to be. I think they've got ridiculous depth. It's just that on the pitch, there are some glaring holes they've not really covered. Plus, you know, the issues in management, the Mourinho years, which a crap, um, mm. the not so good, kind of renaissance with Oli, but also similar failings in terms of being a bit one-dimensional and now with the ragnick sort of era, um, with the new managers coming in the summer, but I think they'll get it right soon, because again, with United, they, they get it wrong so many times, but eventually it's just clicked. How many mm. signings do they have? Well, I'm thinking of Falcao, I'm thinking of Di Maria, I'm thinking of Danny Blins, you know, Bastion mm. Swainslaw.
0: Memphis Depart, yeah. They've, so
1: they've thrown so much money at the squad, 360 a Bruno worked immediately. They, they They just have money to keep on chucking at their <laughs> problems. And eventually, it's clicked into gear, and 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 I think within that, they've actually got a very decent team. Um, so I think they'll be they'll, they'll run close as time moves on. And I think Chelsea, with the with their loan system and and also their finance from Abramovich, I know he doesn't really invest as much as he, he used to because he doesn't need to. Um, they'll be able to mix up with them as well. And I think they will be the three that kind of pull away. I think Liverpool. Liverpool, are a tough one because people will listen to this pod being like, "Why, why is this guy like not mentioning Liverpool at all?" I think Liverpool have a massive rebuild in the horizon, I think signing Luis mm. Diaz helps them a lot with that um, in the in the winter window. But I just think we'll, we'll touch on Liverpool a bit later. Um, but I just think it will be the way that they won the league was was extremely smart and brilliant. They would have to make the exact same right moves again because they can't afford to make the mistakes of United. Mm, um, even yeah. they just they just can't because of the, the, the way the clubs are run and the money that they kind of have I just don't think they'll be able to do it uh, Michael Edwards is also left as instrumental in that title winning team coming together above board unsure on Klopp how long Klopp will stay I think he he's contract's to 2024 so I think with him, with the ageing squad I think we could see a few years of them kind of dipping under I think to be in that debate
0: and I think that's why we now refer to the top six, a club realistically needs to be able to compete for fourth. I think that is what we mean when we say top six or when the media say top six or or whatever, the big six. They mean there is four, there are six teams in there. Um, if you include the, t- the teams I said before from the old top four, um, plus, plus City and Spurs, then they're all teams vying for fourth. But as anyone without and with a maths degree will be able to determine six doesn't fit into four. And so inevitably every season, like we have had this year, I think we're inevitably going to see a couple of clubs in strife. Um, you know, United sacked Oli, Spurs sacked um, Nuno, brought in Conte. You know, that's going to happen every season because it's going to be one or two of that six that are not in the top four. They're going to panic. They're going to get rid of their manager. They're going to sign Big and Jan. It just creates this kind of wheel of spending. And one of the reasons why things seem to get out of control of the Premier League is that fierce competition for them four spots. Obviously, as you mentioned, you've got the Europa League, but ideally the type of player that, Teams like Spurs and Arsenal are looking to attract—they don't want to play European football. You know, right. Spurs are going to be trying to replace Harry Kane potentially at some point with who? Someone who wants to play Europa League football. Harry Kane's <laughs> one of the best strikers in the world. Like It's—it is a mismatch, and so we'll talk about it at the end of the pod. I think as we go on to discuss um, money in, in the Premier League, but I just think that that almost just that kind of mismatch, and that imbalance in numbers, is what causes this machine to like constantly tick over in terms of spending, um, and just this this fever
1: of like yeah of just spending out of control to try and keep up no, I completely agree I think I kind of moving on from that point, I kind of wanted to highlight Liverpool because they're the anomaly to all of this because they're not obviously historically one of the one of them if not the most successful club in English football. I can't remember I think they're one ahead of United or very close to um and, and they've done it almost in the right way. They, they haven't had extremely wealthy owners. Yes, they have the brand. Yes, they have the name, which has allowed them to attract certain players. But they've built this this title-winning team, which Klopp has amassed, and Champions League-winning team, from being extremely smart. You know, the Americans don't just open their checkbook and give them £400 hmm. million pounds to spend with little money coming in. They've done it very, very smart. You know, they have arguably one of the best players in the world. Um, if not the best in Mohamed Salah at the moment, you could pick two or three of the players, which are probably the best in their positions. Van Dijk and Trent, in particular, the likes of Allison Robertson, probably not far behind. And it's it, it's the template really for sides like Arsenal, Spurs, Leicester, West Ham, Wolves, Newcastle, even to an extent to to try and look at and think maybe this is how we get in to the to the top because what they managed to do. You know, with that Liverpool type of you i thinking of is they managed to pick up players are fairly cheap. The likes of Robbo and Gigi Wijnaldum from Premier League clubs, they, they've backed more expensive talents. Marley and Salo are both 35 and for 40 million, which are fees that clubs like West Ham can pay. You know, one was from Southampton from a Premier League rival and the other one was from Roma but they've also then have the talent ID to realise that those players are obviously very talented. Then the more expensive mm. talents, because people will then shout at me, and be like, oh, what about the world record fee for Van Dyke and Allison?" But then they went and sold Coutinho for 140 million. So, <laughs> so that in itself then, you know, lended to those big fees. And then their strong academies, it has produced Trent, who's arguably the best right back in the world, and Brewster, who's hardly played for Liverpool, and they've sold him on for 24 million to Sheffield United, <laughs> which then, which then adds, adds into the coffers for the first team. Then you yeah. couple that with a, with an, a brilliant manager in Jurgen Klopp, and it's allowed them to kind of storm to the top. You know, there is an element of how long can they stay there for? You know, as I said, that they they are kind of approaching a rebuild to a certain extent, and they don't have the finer because Liverpool got everything right. I need to highlight that that you know that sort of period of three sort of windows. They got it right pretty quickly. Mm. They, they they identified weaknesses in their squad. They backed players. There are statesmen there that have been there before Klopp that have been brilliant. The likes of James Milner, Jordan Henderson, yeah. Joel Matip came in for free. Joe Gomez was signed just before as well, and he's developed quite well. But generally speaking, they, they they mostly got it right. Whereas you know, I can get it wrong a thousand times, and they've mm. still got the money to keep on plundering it. in City. You know, I love mentioning this fact. City so like literally sign a new CB <laughs> for forty million every window. I don't even know where they're going. Like every single window that they're playing to the point now where they're always playing right back. I've seen his other John yeah. Stones or Laporte playing right back as backup to get some games. Nathan Ake, okay, he's not doing anything. He's just got a new haircut every other week with his with his treads <laughs> because he's not he's not playing any football. Um, and it's just yeah, their depth is just crazy. And I think one thing, as great as Liverpool have been, and and they are the template, there are glaring holes there as well, which highlights how they're just they're just not the same money wise. I would say United have better depth than Liverpool. I would probably say that. It's just the depth is not necessarily better. And I would say the first eleven or fifteen players of Liverpool is a lot better. Mm. But yeah. uh, but the depth. I mean, there are times Liverpool Liverpool's port of call was to bring on a riggy. I think a riggy's all right. I don't think, he, I don't think he, the United's bench sometimes will have the likes of Sancho Greenwood before his obviously his issues with his trial. Sometimes Rashford, you know, you'd have a deep bench of attacking talent. It's just yeah. like collectively on the pitch, they're just not the same cohesive unit. But um, it's it's one of those where, yeah, I think Liverpool are definitely the beacon, but also highlights that still they just don't have that 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 ability to consistently spend 50, 60 million constantly. You know, for an aging team where if it goes wrong they can just do it again and again and again and again Mm.
0: yeah I think that's quite a good point I kind of alluded to there around the the size of kind of the value and the the wages of a bench at any one given time because seemingly Liverpool do not have either the capability or the appetite to have a a bench full of players that are on significant I mean you've just mentioned some players that are quite often have been found on United's bench this season Marcus Rashford uh, Jaden Sancho's been on the bench quite a lot. Even people say, Alex Tellez, how little football has he played since he joined United? He must be on like 150k a week. Uh, Aaron Wambasaka's been on the bench behind um, Dallow. Both of them are probably on a decent wage. I would have thought Dallow less so than Aaron Wambasaka. But like, you know, Chelsea also do that as well. City can afford to do that. And we had that with COVID when we had five subs. <laughs> They're bringing on like half a first team worth of players worth like 50 mil. And other sides can't do that. Um, but it's a really good point because it does add into the whole the whole thing around well you know how much are you paying your first team in terms of wages how much can you afford to do so and then how much can you afford to have players who aren't even playing who are potentially ha- or unsettled on the bench in the squad playing under twenty threes um, on such massive contracts but yeah I think you're I think you're bang on about Liverpool because there's there's two things I picked up on there the academy academy element which you are bang on about that kind of re- that, um, that kind of um, revenue stream from that. And then also just buying high-profile players. So Coutinho was an example of that. Hi, sorry, no, high-potential players, sorry, um, where you're bringing a player in, for, I think it was 15 million from Inter Milan, quite young at the time. Obviously, he was at Inter Milan, which are a big clubs, so he's kind of already been scouted. But he's then came across, he's done really well, and they've sold him off for of 140 million. Um, but both those strategies, building your team for the academy and then assigning high-potential players is high risk. And so you bang on that. You have a season or two or a window or two that doesn't work, the academy doesn't produce, and maybe someone like Luis Diaz doesn't perform as you thought he would, and doesn't provide that succession plan to the likes of Mane or, or Salah that you intended. Then what happens then? Because you haven't got the appetite to spend to fill in those cracks, just like United can. One, one or two seasons if it not coming off, and Liverpool could be in a bit of trouble, particularly if Klopp leaves.
1: Yeah, which is which is inevitable. I think well, obviously he's going to leave. He's going to leave eventually. I think yeah, they're definitely the beacon of Liverpool, but also yeah. De- it, 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 is it sustainable for them to consistently be able to do it on, on a regular basis? I'm not so sure it is because money ultimately always talks. And that's mm. kind of the point I wanted to bring up to at the end is, is this influx of money good for the Prem, which is always an argument I we kind of go into. I think definitely for sure, the the Premier League in terms of managers has got the best set of managers it's ever had. Um, in terms of the top six or old six, whatever you want to call them, all fantastic mm. managers. I think even if you cast a net wider, Brendan Rogers is a fantastic manager having a tough season. Uh, Bruno Large has had a really good season. Um, even some of the younger coaches, Graham Potter, I think is exceptional. Um, I think this is the best set of managers the Premier League has ever had collectively throughout the league. Um, and that comes from the money that they're able to be paid and the quality of the league. And, and that's what the influx of money's done. But on the flip side, this increase in wealth, which we discussed about earlier, does that mean the league is getting a bit stale? Like, how can you really knock City off for more than one or two years now? I can't really see it mm. now where City won't win the league every other year, really, or every other two years, really. I, I just can't see it. I mean, it's easy to say, you know, football changes tomorrow, but when you've got bottomless pits of money like that, I don't know, man. But you could argue United haven't won in a long time. That's fine. I think when United click, they will be back at the top and they'll be winning titles left right center again because they've just got the money behind them city will be the same um so is this increase in wealth which is which is causing a gap really i mean the premier league is getting richer collectively but it's causing a gap at the top is that leading to it becoming stale which could lead to you know another super league and all that sort of stuff which will rumble on forever you know will we actually see someone like Arsenal in the league again i think it's quite a valid question like sounds silly to say but, you know, you've got sides, especially in Italy, I'm thinking of as an example, They that they'll win titles for years and years and years. Like mm. Roma's last Scudetto was in 2000 with Totti, <laughs> you know, and, and like, yeah. you know, that's only a few years before the Invincibles, really, in terms of time. But, you know, they're always seen as a club and the seven sisters and they're always challenging. But, you know, will we actually see Arsenal do it again? That's just quite a valid point. You know, I think the way the game is going in the Premier League we're hurtling towards, I think, a two-tier sort of a big three and like a chasing pack. They could actually even call another big six of sides that are kind of competing for that third and fourth spot, really, or mostly fourth and then kind of um, filtering out from there. And I think the big three, so for me, it will be United, City and Chelsea, kind of in a league of their own in terms of financing and wealth and Liverpool trying to bridge that gap by being a sort of, Model template and club in terms of getting their decisions right off the pitch. Mm. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I think it's sort really of going to intensify for the reasons I mentioned before in terms of the fact that we just have a mismatch in terms of spots. Where you know, if you're a team that feels like Spurs, you had the money. See, Spurs were bought out by, say, um, say, states just like uh, Newcastle have and and City um, have as well then realistically they're going to chuck money at their first teams against that fourth spot and it's going to happen year on year. And the teams that miss out, if they can do so, are going to want to spend. I mean, as you said, Arsenal spent a fortune this summer, a club that is not necessarily in the context of the elite of the Premier League kind of regarded as having kind of a bottomless, a bottomless, pitch of, a pit, a bottomless pit of cash, which they don't, but they've still spent excessively. And, you know, if, if Arsenal were more satisfied with their team and they finished fourth last season, they probably wouldn't have spent that heavily. And so yeah. I just think any team that finished outside is going to do so. And that just continually inflates the market. Teams like Newcastle entering uh inflates the market excessively and really rapidly. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes over the next couple of years, particularly if they stay up because it gives them more license to spend. Um I kind of think it's too late to regulate football, but that's the only way unless radical reform comes in that we're going to see a limited spending. And a limit to the inflation of fees and just the money influx in in the Premier League, you know, um, I can only, only all I can think of is maybe a salary and spending cap that could that could actually force clubs not to spend the money that they were willing to do so to build their brand and to get their teams working on the pitch in all these competitions. Um, but if that was had to happen, too many investors would turn away. FIFA wouldn't get the revenue they do. UEFA wouldn't get the revenue they do. The Premier League would shrink in terms of its value. That stuff is just not going to happen. And so if that's not going to happen the the lack of regulation is going to exist, so you are going to get more investors like you did, so at Newcastle all come into the league, and it's just <laughs> so it's going to become overly saturated. at which point we might find ourselves in a super league situation. So that's the way I think we're going, and I agree with you that we are probably heading towards a super league situation at some point if um, if, if change doesn't happen, which I don't think it will. So <laughs> that's a, a very very grim bleak end to the pod. Um, but and with that, you know, with the Premier League becoming um, an even more expensive place to exist within as a club and to do well in, then the cost of entry becomes higher, which means we end up with more Derby counties teams trying their trying their luck to get into it, um, spending even more out of their means to try and get into the league, which ultimately they can't afford and they end up in administration. It's, it's. Um, I think football's becoming very predictable and it's getting worse. Is what I would say. But on that very light note, <laughs> <laughs> that's all we uh, have time for today. So thank you, Etches for pulling together today's episodes. Um, We'll be back next week for another installment of the Under the Spotlight podcast brought to you by Football and Breaking the Lines. But to you all, have a good week and we'll see you next time. Here it goes.